Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I am a licensed psychologist here in Georgia and it is time for the TT Dime with Dr. Tarver is a wellness-based podcast. It is not intended to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health provider. So welcome to our second live stream here in March. Hopefully you got a chance to see our last live stream in which we were talking about dangers, health dangers seen and unseen. Uh, when we had Dr. Bridget Jackson on here talking about medical concerns. And this week, I am so very excited. We're going to have Dr. Kimber Shelton available for us as we discuss Black women and mental health, the well woman. So I am truly engaged in this conversation because, of course, it is of particular interest to me as a licensed psychologist. If you have questions, please go ahead and make comments on the live. If you have comments, go ahead and make those comments and we will be discussing those things live. Let's get into it because we have a lot to get to. So it is my sincere pleasure to introduce Dr. Kimber Shelton. Dr. Kimber Shelton is a licensed psychologist and owner of KLS Counseling and Consulting Services in Dallas, Texas. She provides individual and couples therapy specializing in cultural diversity, LGBTQ, trauma and relationship concerns. She is also a co-editor of the recently released handbook on counseling African-American women, which we will be discussing later. She is committed to creating liberated and safe therapy spaces for Black women and helping other therapists advance their cultural competence. So as you can see, she is well qualified for the job. Welcome, Dr. Shelton, to the show. Thank you, Dr. Tarver. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited about this topic too. It's very close to my heart. So I appreciate you inviting me here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's get going. We've got a lot to get into. So of course, whenever we are talking about mental health counseling and Black women, one of the first questions that comes to mind is that oftentimes Black women may not necessarily feel comfortable going to counseling because of negative experiences they have had. And so let's get into a discussion about what are some of the factors that actually stop us from going to counseling or we go and then we leave early before treatment is completed because we're maybe not necessarily having the type of experience that we want. Can you shed some more light on that for us? Yeah, so one of the biggest barriers of Black women getting into therapy is cultural stigma, which is true and it's real, we experience that. But that stigma is coming from somewhere. We just don't all of a sudden feel uncomfortable entering therapy. That the mental health field and the medical field in general has pathologized us, has dehumanized us, has literally used us as human guinea pigs. So when we look at our history and the trauma that the medical field has done us, we have a healthy paranoia. And that healthy paranoia is it makes sense for me to be cautious or to be careful in receiving help because we have been hurt in the past. They were all aware of the Tuskegee experiments as very commonly known, but also in terms of medical care that enslaved African women and their babies were experimenting on, so trigger warning, sorry about that, um, they were experimenting on, um, so a lot of what we know in terms of OBGYN things is coming from these experiences of these women and these newborns who were having these surgical procedures done without anesthesia. 
So we know that those things happen. And then we hear tales and stories through the generation and through our families that make it legitimate for us to have fears or concerns about getting health services. And still today, Black women, their um, health and mental health are still being pathologized and we're being demonized. I have three-year-old twin daughters and my pregnancy and then postpartum were probably the scariest times in my life because I knew I was at the greatest risk for dying. Black women's maternal mortality rate is three to five times that of white women. The ma maternal mortality rate for black women is the same as women who are living in Mexico. And then we know our resources are much greater and better than the resources that are in Mexico. And that in comparison to our peers, we're not having the same experience. So we're three to five times more likely to die. And Black newborn babies where their pediatrician is white, those newborns are three times more likely to die if the pediatrician is white. So we know that there is something happening that babies with Black pediatricians, those babies are surviving longer or are, are overcoming things that when the pediatrician is white are not necessarily happening. So that valid, uh, that um, healthy paranoia that we have is valid. We're not always being given that competent care that we need. And the same thing happens in the mental health field where we can be over-diagnosed, we can be underdiagnosed, we can be misdiagnosed. So just one, there's cultural incompetence and that's why we're fearful of coming in. Yeah. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing some of the experiences that you've had too, as well as mother of twins and like, hey, I'm a licensed mental health provider, very well educated. And I still was terrified about mm -hmm. this process of what's going to happen to me and my girls as we try to get through this labor and delivery process, because we know the maternal mortality rates are so high for African-American women. But I also appreciate you going ahead and putting the light on some of these issues that we commonly hear people say. Tuskegee syphilis experiment, Henrietta Lacks. No, these are times when we were not treated very well by medical professionals. And of course that translates over into mental health services too. APA just recently put out a statement about, hey, we apologize for some of the ways we have contributed to marginalization oppression of, of groups. And so we wanna go on record as saying we haven't always gotten that right. So you're absolutely right about these experiences being different. And you highlighted something as well that I think is very important that I wanna go back and touch on. When we talk about why we may go to mental health counseling and not stay, our experiences are different. So mm -hmm. if we don't get the right provider, then we may not have the type of experience that may be what we need in order to address our issues. Can you talk about that a little bit more as we kind of get into this conversation about what mental health counseling could look like? We're going to talk about that here in a second. But what are some of the reasons that people have talked about like, hey, I went to therapy and I, I left? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it makes me think uh, um, about the cultural stigma, too, that there are more Black women entering therapy now than have ever entered in the past. But still, it's really hard for Black women to get into therapy because there is that cultural stigma and these stereotypes of Black women being superwomen and um, yeah, that superwoman schema. So on one hand, that's really important to us. It's helpful for us. Um, that means that we're very resilient. We have overcome a lot. We can handle many different things. 
In terms of Black women's success, in comparison to Black men, we have more certifications, more bachelor's degrees, more master's degrees, more doctoral degrees, more medical degrees than our Black male counterparts. So we're doing so well, yet we're still not receiving the same pay as our male counterparts are, or as white women are. So there, there's that drive that makes us do so well and be able to achieve so much, but on the other hand, that stigma means then we can't be vulnerable, we can't be weak. I mean, I literally grew up with those lessons of never let them see you cry. You have to do 110%, always work twice as hard. I heard those messages, which means that I can never let my guard down or be okay. So then how that translates into treatment, that for Black women, they may not come in saying, hey, I have depression and I want to work on those things. It might take longer to build that rapport because we don't we're not as trusting. We want to make sure that therapy is a safe space where I don't have to have that mask on of strength and having it together and being high functioning all the time. And if a therapist is reading a Black woman wrong and they're only seeing her strength and her resiliency, they're not going to be able to focus on the things that she really needs to focus on. So that's going to be a deficit to her when they're just regarding that superwoman schema and not seeing what's beneath that superwoman schema is someone who is really hurting and needing a lot of help. So it's not going to do well in therapy and likely exit that relationship. Thank you for highlighting this superwoman stigma, because I think that all of our viewers need to hear that just because I can be strong doesn't mean I want to be strong all the time. And I need for you to see me. So when mm -hmm. I come into the space, it's important that you recognize I'm a person underneath these resiliency factors. I'm a person underneath the strength that I've endured over all of the things that I've experienced in my life. And so if a person can't see me, then how is this therapy space any safer than the spaces that I'm in outside of therapy, where I'm already carrying this weight and feel like I'm overwhelmed? Okay. Let's get into a conversation about what therapy actually looks like. So I think sometimes... You know, we're looking at TV. I'm sure a lot of people remember um, a different world episode with Jasmine Guy. Uh, and Jasmine Guy is in there and, and she's on the couch and, and Debbie Allen tells her to relax, relate, release. Uh, or we may have seen in movies some of these examples of therapists being inappropriate in the therapy space. And so I think all of these things shape us or maybe perhaps we've known people that have gone to therapy, but it might have been mandated treatment. It may have not been something that they wanted, but something that they were required to do. So all of these negative experiences or the things that we're seeing influenced by the media, of course, is going to affect how we view therapy and our perceptions of what it looks like. Can you actually talk to us about what does it look like to get involved in therapy? What's an average therapy session look like? Yeah. Yeah. I actually recently read a book where the therapist invited the client over to the house. They ended up having an affair. Then they plotted and had to keep a secret about murder. I'm just like, oh, why do we get big therapists? <laughs> None of these things are happening in therapy. We're not laying down our couches. The therapist is not sitting there as a blank slate. Um, that there are um, these four common factors that actually make therapy work. And surprisingly, the largest variable in therapy working has nothing to do with therapy. It has to do with that person coming in with that client. The variables that they bring in to take care of themselves when they translate those into therapy, therapy is going to work better. And then the second largest variable in therapy working is the relationship between the therapist and the individual that they are serving. So the more they feel, the more the client feels connected to their therapist, the more they feel that they're understood, 
the more the therapist can empathize with them, help them see blind spots, therapy is going to be more effective. So a large portion of what therapy looks like is having a strong relationship with your therapist, where you feel heard, you feel understood, it feels safe, your therapist can compliment you and also challenge you. Your therapist can agree with you and also help you see things in a different um, way. So we're not laying down on couches. We're having conversations that are meant to increase our insight. We might be doing different activities or exercises with our therapist. But again, these are consensual, consenting activities so that your therapist is working at your pace. It's important that um, you feel like you are able to do things that you want to do and not do things that you want to do. There's conversations to spark different ideas in you. Um, therapy is not a friendship. It is a very intimate relationship. I know way more about my clients' lives than they will ever know about me or that they would ever learn about me. So it's a very intimate relationship, but it's a professional relationship that is focused on them. We're not meant to be girlfriends. Um, in the rare occasions, we might run into each other in a social situation, hello, and then we keep it moving. But it's not a friendship, it's still a professional relationship. Your therapist there to focus on you. Absolutely. And thank you for that, because I think a lot of times when you are sharing close, personal, intimate details, it does feel like, that, hey, this is a friendship. And for some people, a romantic relationship, because they are able to be transparent. They feel safe. They feel heard. They feel seen. Um, and, and some of those things can feel like other types of relationships people have had. And so it is easy to understand why people might say, well, I'm not really sure where to put my therapist in terms of uh, where they fit in my life, because they may be one of the most positive relationships, one of the most healthy relationships that I have. And so there can be some uncertainty about mm -hmm. how to proceed forward. But yeah, we're, we're this guide for you and we are in this safe space for you and we are supportive of you. And at the same time, we don't want to make this session about us either. Mm -hmm. A lot of the ladies are saying on, on live, uh, going back to that piece about people leaving therapy, because once they share with their therapist everything that they've been through, then it became like, oh, you're so resilient, you're so strong. Um, and, and it stopped being about what I came here for mm -hmm. and what I needed. And we know that for, for uh, unfortunately, for a lot of Black women, we normalize suffering because we're so used to it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we don't even recognize everything that we've been through. So we're talking to a person and they're in awe. They're in shock, like, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, I can't believe you've been through all of those things. But it also may make it a little bit hard for us to recognize when we're not doing okay, because we have had so many people tell us we're resilient and we're strong. So how does someone know when they actually might be experiencing mental illness or mental health symptoms that may warrant coming in for therapy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so some common symptoms of depression are apathy, where we don't have interest in things anymore. We might feel depressed. I feel sad. I feel down. We think about anxiety. There's a lot of worry we could have. There's a lot of fear that we could have. Um, our thoughts are racing and running. Um, so those are some classic symptoms, which absolutely Black women can experience those things. But sometimes our mental health symptoms don't manifest in, I feel depressed. That we can be very high functioning and also have very high depression. We can be very high functioning and also be very um, anxious prone. So the symptoms can look different or the way that Black women are expressing their symptoms can look different. So even thinking about myself, 
who you know, I was on this board and this panel, I was seeing this many clients, I was writing this and publishing these things. And then I got to a point in my life where I just didn't have the energy or the motivation to do those things anymore. Like, what is wrong with me? I just cannot get myself going. Like, I am not doing the things that I know I'm capable, capable of doing. And eventually I was like, oh, wait, I am burnt out. That's what's wrong with me. I have been doing 110%. I've been doing more. I've never been weak. I am burnt out. So it didn't look like depression. It looked like burnout for me. It didn't look like anxiety. It looked like I'm not doing enough. So for Black women, being exhausted or feeling like a failure can oftentimes be a sign of there's a mental health issue or concern going on for them. Things that we used to enjoy doing or it was easy for us to do, it's now a struggle for us to do. That can be another sign. And then physically, our um, mental health and our physical health are connected. So we're not feeling mentally well, that can manifest in our body where we might be having more um, um, gastrointestinal issues, irritable bowel syndrome, ulcers, um, we're not able to sleep, um, having insomnia, those sort of things, high blood pressure is another symptom. So it could be manifesting in our body. Our body might be communicating, hey, something's going on here. You go to the doctor, we can't find anything physically um, going on with you. It might be a psychological issue that's impacting us physiologically. Thank you so much, because I think a lot of times we end up going to see our primary care physicians first or our gynecologists first, because we are experiencing some of these physiological symptoms and we don't realize that they're actually connected to our mental health. We sometimes see mental health in isolation and we don't realize that it's a part of a connected person, mind, body, and spirit, we're all connected. And so if any one area is out of balance, then of course, it's going to show up in other ways. And I appreciate you also recognizing that we all look a little different. We're not a monolithic group. And so we're going to experience symptoms different. So how my sister or how my friend might have experienced depression may not look the same, but I may still be very depressed. And I think sometimes I'll experience Black women saying, like, I'm not depressed. I don't know why my um, primary care physician referred me over here. And we get to talking and it's like, Mm -hmm. Okay, so mm -hmm. you may not recognize this is depression mm -hmm. because you have this idea that depression is just I'm not able to get out of bed or I'm crying mm -hmm. all the time when you can look in all of the different ways that you just mentioned. So thank you for that. Um, and, and I also want to um, talk a little bit about I know that sometimes we go into these spaces and people make these um, statements to us about our resiliency. We get tired of that. We get tired of hearing that. However, we do recognize that resiliency factors can help us. And so we want to be also able to think about, hey, when I know I'm not doing well, which means I need to know when I'm doing okay. So what are some of the resiliency factors that actually help us buffer the effects of stress and mental illness? Yeah, you asking that actually pulls me back to something you said earlier that for some people that therapy relationship is such a healthy and a strong relationship for them that it can sometimes feel like it's a different sort of relationship. And the reason that the relationship feels so strong because it is a healthy relationship, which means it is likely a boundary relationship that there are boundaries around that relationship. So um, factors that help us in, our, in our resiliency or are part of our resiliency come from having strong support systems that have healthy relationships that are well boundaried, that we have people in our life who support us, encourage us, um, make space and time for us, 
but then the boundaries are appropriate too. We're not, they're not putting unreasonable expectations or demands on us and vice versa. So a sign of resiliency or a, a piece of resiliency we have is having a strong support network, a strong support system that for many black women, we're coming from a more collectivist culture that um, family and then the larger group is important. But again, that, that strength is gonna come in these healthy relationships. So wherever we can turn to support uh, resources in those ways is really important. Not all Black women, for, but for many Black women, they have a strong faith. So being able to connect to faith is a place of resiliency for women. Um, being able to turn over to a higher power, prayer, um, reading. Um, and then another part of that spiritual community is the community part of it. So that there's people, again, who care about us, who are thinking about us, who we can be connected to. Um, certainly, you can have God and have a therapist. These things, they work together. The more supports that we have, the better. So that's another piece of resiliency. And then, yes, we have overcome so much. Our ancestors have overcome so much. Mm -hmm. Our children, they're gonna continue to do well and achieve and overcome things. So we can look at how we've handled situations in the past as a model for how we can move through or work through things. Not putting the expectation on that I must continue to succeed or move in those same ways. However, there's things that I can take from my past experiences that can move me or shift me or motivate me into the future. With my clients that I work with, I'll ask them, to tell me about uh, times in their life where they were faced with a ch challenge and they made a good decision and it worked out well for them. So we'll pull together a couple of these different challenges and we see there's a theme. There's actually a problem solving, solution finding method that they use. Now, outside of therapy, we're not sitting down and thinking, what is my solution finding method or how do I come up with answers the best? We're not doing that. But in therapy, your therapist would encourage you to do those things. And we can find there's actually steps that we use to navigate through difficult situations. So understanding what those steps are, how we get through those things is important. Um, and other things that help with our resiliency is being able to get out what is in our head. So things like creative arts and music and writing can really be a source of resiliency and strength um, care for Black women. I appreciate just the comprehensiveness of that. Again, going back to we're not all the same. So yes, for some of that, some of us, that's going to be the mother's group. For some of us, that's going to be the walking group. For some of us, that's going to be church. For some of us, that's going to be family members. For, right? So it can look, I can, it can be in my creative expression. All of these different ways that I can show up to be investing in myself and getting the kind of self-care and support that I need. And it doesn't always have to look the same. Now, Facebook just exploded when you talked about those boundaries. So everybody is really <laughs> loving the importance of these boundaries in relation relationships as a resiliency, but also being able to have a space to just be. Like I don't have to be strong all the time in these spaces that mm -hmm. I can just show up in my women's support group and just be. I can show up with other mothers and just be. I can show up at church mm -hmm. and just be. And it doesn't feel like I have to show up carrying all of this mm -hmm. load with me that I get to put that load down. Mm -hmm. And that's really important. Yeah. So as we talk, those, go ahead. Are those like even factors like I have Black women that I see, they have a bonnet on, and they don't have to explain, I have a bonnet on for this, and this is what it means, or don't think these, no, I'm just wearing a bonnet. Okay, 
that's great. Get your bonnet on, or they absolutely have in hair, or absolutely, um, or breastfeeding, or or all of these normal things that we experience as Black women, and that you don't have to be looked at in this very like, oh, you're mm-hmm. you're not come prepared for therapy, all dressed up, and mm-hmm. um, why isn't your child put away, and all of these things? No, this is a space where because that's a part of you. All of these things that show up in this space are a part of you. And so we're going to normalize that they're a part of you in this moment, in this presence that we're in right now. Yeah. Come as you are. Come as you are, (laughs) which leads is a nice segue to our next question, which is how does a Black woman prepare for therapy? How do we even start the process? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Yeah, because there are more Black women desiring therapy, looking for therapists, but how do I even get going with that? Um, I think there's a, a mental preparation that we have to do that moving from that superwoman schema, um, that strong Black woman schema to it is okay for me to receive help. And I don't have to be at my rock bottom to receive help. Moving away from those thoughts of I'm crazy, um, moving away from these beliefs, I mean, that we even hear these things of, um, you need therapy, but not in a, I'm supporting you and encouraging you to get, take care of yourself mentally, and uh, there's something wrong with you, you're crazy, you need therapy. So moving away from that and having that mental shift up, it is okay for me to ask for and to receive help. And then it's the process of actually trying to get started and finding a therapist. So um, unfortunately, it is, it can be a challenge to find a therapist that, especially if you're looking for a specific demographic, like you want to work with a Black woman, um, there are about 4% of psych- active psychologists are Black. I think 4% of social workers are Black. 2% of psychiatrists are Black. So there's just not a lot of Black mental health professionals out there, which means in the majority of Black women, they may be working with someone who culturally and generally is different for them, um, which is okay. It's what's important that the therapist is culturally competent. But if we prefer to work with a certain demographic, it can be a little bit more challenging for us to find a therapist. There are a number of directories for Black women therapists and for um, therapists for people of color, which can be a first good step in locating a therapist. And I'll put those in the chat so that they're available. Um, I think I've listed about five in there, but, but there's more than that. But a good starting point in locating a therapist who you would feel comfortable working with and feel like they're a good fit for you. With mental health parity, and insurance. So that has opened up the window for a lot of Black women to access therapy because therapy can be paid for or assisted paid for through insurance. So we can look at our insurance panels too as a way of finding a therapist. If we're having a hard time finding the therapist that way, then we can contact our insurance company and we can ask them to help us find a therapist. Or if we find a therapist who we love, but they're not paneled with our insurance, we can ask our insurance company to do a one-time case amendment for that therapist is another option as well. We likely need to call multiple therapists and don't get discouraged. So myself, I have a therapist right now, and I'm in Texas. I wanted to see a Black woman, and then for the issue I wanted to work with, there were, and I can see anyone in Texas because I was okay doing virtual therapy, there were 16 Black women in the state of Texas who I would be able to work with. It's not a big pool. 
And of those 16, I was one of them. So they moved me down to 15. And then of that 15, I knew three of those therapists that were on there. So it was a small, small pool. Um, and then having to call multiple therapists to be able to get a call back. So I just encourage people, therapists, they do not do a great job in returning calls. Don't get discouraged, continue to reach out. And then we can also turn to our physicians because again, they can be the gatekeeper for our mental health that they could have therapy referrals for us too. Um, so we just wanna stay consistent. If we have people or friends that we know who are in therapy, we can ask them who they're seeing. And if we call a therapist and they're not accepting new clients or they're not gonna be a fit for us, ask them, do you have referrals for someone that I could see? Absolutely. And I let me tell you how much I appreciate your honesty about this is not an easy process because I do think it can be very easy to get discouraged when here you are, you finally psych yourself up like, OK, mm -hmm. I'm going to do this. I make a call and somebody does not call me back. Mm -hmm. And I've had so many perfect person. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm talking about right. Devastated people. I've had people call me and say, like, you know, I've called people um, and and I'm not getting anything. Um, back in terms of, of the return um, on these calls. And, you know, I'll tell people, hey, like you said, don't be discouraged. Let me pull this chat up so people can see it. Um, don't be discouraged about that because the reality is you may end up calling quite a few people before mm -hmm. you end up actually getting a call back. So, no, there's not going to be perfection. There's not going to be, I think, um, this this uh, dream come true <laughs> about how this is all going to work. Like this is definitely going to end up being, um, you know, a process. And so you can get discouraged in that process. But if you have different ways of looking and you mentioned, I can contact my insurance company, you put um, therapy for black girls in the chat as a resource. Um, there are uh, definitely, I think, a lot of um people that do utilize things like psychology today to try to find people. Um, there are uh, people that you, like you said, you may know people that will allow you to be able um, to talk to them and get some help with that. So we have therapy for blackgirls.com, Enopsych, therapist of color, um, black female therapist, Beam, um, black therapist rock, Go ahead. Black emotional and mental health. Black um, emotional black and therapist. mental health. Black mm -hmm. therapists rock and national queer and trans therapists of color network that are all options. And I'll make sure also to, to add those as well um, so that people can have those things. And I did get a question on here about what if the issue is I know I need therapy, but financially I can't afford it. And then I'm also concerned about being able to give it a time commitment, maybe because of how I'm working right now. Do you have any recommendations for people um, that might be dealing with those issues of time as well as money? Yeah, yeah, therapy, it can be expensive, especially if we don't have the greatest insurance or we're not wanting to use our insurance. That if we're paying out of pocket, therapy can be, for some people, $200 a session. And for some Black women, they might consider, well, the other things I do to take care of myself of getting my hair done or getting my nails done, they average that same amount, I'm going to invest in my mental health. But for many of us, that's just not the reality where we might have $200, $150 on a weekly basis to spend in therapy. And there are some free and low-cost therapy options, too, that the majority of counties offer free mental health care. So looking up to see what your county offers. 
And then there's a um, company called OpenPath that has low therapies uh, services that I think are like $30 to $50 per session that people can use. And another way of getting quality yet inexpensive therapy is through graduate programs. So I was at University of Georgia. We had a clinic where the community could come in and there would be a doctoral level clinician working with them, a um, graduate student who would work with them who's being supervised by a licensed psychologist. And then the services are less expensive that way. So that's an option as well, looking up the graduate programs in your area. Um, people think, oh, I don't want to work with a student. But when we look at research in terms of therapy satisfaction, students, um, people are satisfied working with students similar to how they are satisfied in working with licensed professionals. There could be some things that if we have more severe mental health issues or something that's more chronic, that might be better for a licensed professional. However, students who are being supervised by licensed professionals can still provide uh, quality, strong work. Absolutely. And, and I want to go back to um, those recommendations because a lot of people do have later hours and earlier hours. So you can have some options in the event that you're struggling trying to figure out like, oh, you know, I'm not even able to see anybody till seven, eight o'clock. There are some therapists that have those options mm -hmm. for you to be able to be seen later. And there are therapists who have mm -hmm. options for you to be able to see, be seen earlier. Mm -hmm. um, and especially with telehealth, we're in situations where often people can utilize their lunch break. So even if you're working, you're like, I can't even do early morning or late evening. I have 30 minutes. And so I could get a good 30 minute session in there on my lunch break to be able to address my mental health. So I yeah, thank you for that. Absolutely. Their therapists, they have weekend appointments. I see people Saturday mornings, but that could be available too. So there's a lot more flexibility that we have with virtual telehealth. You asked earlier, what can Black women do in terms of preparation? That is something to think about too, what your therapy sessions could be looking like and how they feel after that session. That it's common to walk away from therapy feeling energized, rejuvenated, we're ready to take on the world. But it's also common to leave therapy sessions because we're working different muscles in our brain that we might not have worked before or in a long time. It's common to leave feeling tired, exhausted, drained. So if you have a therapy session at 10 a.m. and then you have to go to work at 11 a.m. and you're feeling kind of tired and just need some more processing time, might not be the best fit for you. Or if at five o'clock you got to pick your kids up at six o'clock, you're going to be down after that, that might not be the best therapy time. So it's just something to consider as well. What type of therapy you're going to be doing and how that might impact your wellness for the rest of that day. Absolutely. And, and that's a good reminder too. Like I need to be thinking about how I might be feeling after therapy, particularly one of um, the viewers just talked about female veterans um, and that population of Black female veterans that may not necessarily be able to get good services because we know the VA has some challenges just in terms of the amount of people that have mental health issues that need to be seen at the VA. They just don't have enough providers to be able to see everyone. So it is important as I'm maybe looking at these other options for me if the VA is not a good fit because maybe I need more regular appointments than the VA can provide or maybe they don't have the hours that work for me or, um, you know, potentially being able to access 
I have the potential to do virtual therapy with some of, like you mentioned, the community resources, some of these low cost or no cost resources, and I can still be able to get the care I need, but also make sure that I'm doing it at a time that's going to work for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm not having to rush right back into work or rush right back into taking care of kids or rush back into Mm -hmm. a lot of these other responsibilities that I might have right after my therapy session, because I may just need that downtime to be able to process. So that's an excellent point. Thank you. We want more barriers to come up. So we don't have the time or we can't afford it or it's going to hurt us financially. That's going to be a barrier. So we want to try to reduce as many barriers that can get in the way of us getting therapy so that we can get that um, optimum time and get those services that we need. And it seems like you also within this have addressed like, so if I'm not getting what I want, I don't have to stay there. Mm-hmm. I have the opportunity to be able to shift to a new provider, check out some of these other options. What are some ways people can feel empowered? Like, hey, just not it uh, for me mm-hmm. with this person. Where do I go from there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if we feel, you made a, a great point when you were talking about the VA, there just might not be enough therapists so you can't get your appointments regularly. So I know that I left therapy that I could, it was two months before I could get another appointment with my therapist. Like, no, I need to be seen more regularly than these month-by-month check-ins, because again, I'm resilient and I'm strong, but I also need to continue to do my work. Um, So if we don't feel like we're able to see our therapist as often as we would like to, then we might need to shift. Um, And just a small piece to add to that, if we are feeling like we need therapy um, every two times a week, three times a week, four times a week, we might need a higher level of care which is okay. That's why there is different levels of care and for us to be able to utilize that where we can be um, doing behavior work um, at a behavior health center. We could be doing a partial hospitalization. We could be doing intensive outpatient programs. We could be doing therapy. We could be doing therapy and seeing a psychiatrist. There's multiple things that we could be doing. So it's understanding the level of care that we need to is going to be important. When we're working with a therapist, we feel like, oh, my needs just are not fully being met, then it's okay to express that to your therapist. Again, ideally, you have a healthy relationship with your therapist, and in relationships, there are going to be ruptures. So if you feel like, I feel like we need to go in this direction, or last week when we were talking, you said this, I didn't really feel comfortable with it, or I didn't understand it, that's okay to bring those things up in therapy. It's excellent to bring those things up in therapy. Therapy is a place that where we could be practicing things and working through things. We want to take what we're doing inside of therapy into our relationships outside of therapy. So if we can challenge our therapist or be honest and transparent with our therapist, then we go talk to our spouse or maybe our mother uh, <laughs> or a friend. They can push us to be more open so that we can have a stronger relationship with them. So it's fine to tell your therapist, I'm thinking I want something different or here's what my expectations are to give your therapist that opportunity to make those changes or just at least to be able to engage in that conversation. And still, if you're not feeling satisfied, right, we don't have to stay in these relationships that mostly, some people are mandated, but mostly therapy is voluntary so you can choose to then see someone else. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I want to 
I think as we get into that, because you've mentioned, and I, I don't think we took the time to define it, culturally appropriate, culturally responsive therapist. So as I'm looking for that next one, because maybe the one I'm with is not a good fit for me, or if there may be some therapists who are watching and are like, hey, I want to be able to have the kind of experience that Black women deserve in therapy, but I'm not sure if I'm necessarily doing all of the things that I could be doing in terms of my training and development. What are some ways that we can know we're finding a culturally responsive therapy in terms of what does that even mean, uh, therapist, in terms of what does that even mean? And if we're wanting to get more training, what are some ways that we can become more culturally responsive? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that culturally responsive care basically means that the therapy that we're doing is responding well to who we are as cultural beings. <laughs> And from the therapist standpoint, that means that they're culturally competent and that they have good self-awareness, that they looked it to themselves, they understand our, their own culture. Before we can understand or appreciate someone else's culture, we first need to look at ourselves and our own culture. And then we also have to understand what biases we could be holding or carrying that could be impacting our therapy. So what a, a therapist who has done that work within themselves and continues to do that work within themselves. A therapist who is culturally competent, they would have knowledge about the broad African-American community and African-American women, while still recognizing that there's an individual that's gonna be coming in and meeting with them. And that her experience as a black woman is not gonna be the same as this woman's experience or, or this person's experience. So having that broad knowledge, but also allowing our clients to define who they are as cultural beings. And having then those skills to come up with interventions and ideas, activities that are gonna best connect to that woman's needs. So uh, all those things are gonna be really important. And for us to be able to advocate for ourselves and it's okay to ask therapists those questions about their cultural competence. So that we can ask our therapist, what's your experience in working with black women or with black families or um, in black couples? We can ask them about the models or the theories that they use. We can ask them about their training that they've had in culturally competent care. Um, we can even disclose in the past as a black woman, I haven't always felt heard or understood. Should that come up in therapy? How will you address it? And then we can ask and we can challenge our therapist, um, what are your beliefs about black women? So a culturally competent therapist, they can answer all those questions. They're not stumbling around, they're not confused, they're not wondering why you're asking those questions. They're thinking, good for you for coming in here to make sure that you get your needs met. So if our therapist is culturally competent, they ask those questions, we feel comfortable and we move on. Um, but yes, therapists, they have to continue to do that work too. And not just white therapists or men therapists, that for Black women therapists too, that we are oftentimes trained to work with white, heterosexual, um, cisgender, middle-class men, that's what the research is, that's what theories are based on. We look at the most commonly used theories in psychology, it's eight white men who created those theories. So we're trained in those same models that we have to then go through a liberation or decolonizing process ourselves and being able to work with um, BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color, we have to go through that experience ourselves. So even if we are sharing that same cultural background as our clients, still we have to make sure that we are knowledgeable and skillful and working with them. And we can hold our own internalized oppression and our own ideas about 
Black women, or we might be having some sort of internal response when working with a Black woman who's struggling. So we have to do that work ourselves so that therapists, they have to continue their own training, like through readings, attending trainings, having consultation with professionals who work with Black women. Absolutely. And I appreciate you saying like, hey, you know what, as therapists, like we're able to receive feedback. <laughs> we're able to have those tough conversations. And it is not about us being defensive. It's about us being able to, hey, yeah, you're absolutely right. Excellent questions. Let's talk about my approach to therapy. Let's talk about how we're going to address because we're not going to always get it right. Right. Mm -hmm. There may be some time we're like, hey, I'm thinking this and somebody might be like, yeah, no, that's not what it is. And we need to be able to receive that. And what mm -hmm. I'm hearing you say is a culturally responsive therapist can and mm -hmm. so that's what people want to be looking at is people who can hear me and even as I bring up things that maybe were not comfortable with me they adjust yeah so I worked with a person who had was coming from a Baha'i faith and if you ask me today what that faith means I'm not going to be able to tell you <laughs> but at that time I was like oh I have never heard of this before so after our session I had to go and do research and pull it up and get books and articles about what this faith um, is I was not going to be an expert on this client's faith however I did have to have a baseline understanding of the principles the ideas and then when the client came back in what does this mean to you how is this fit into your life how is this contributing to both your strength and the things that you want to be different in your life so as Black women, it is not our responsibility to teach our therapists about what it means to be a Black woman or how to treat Black women, that it's the therapist's responsibility to do that, while it is important for us to explain and to, not even necessarily explain, but to be able to share what our everyday lived experiences are as Black women. But we're not there to educate our therapists on racism, sexism, gender racism, that's not our responsibility. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, let's shift gears because one of the reasons I know, and you mentioned this earlier, couples counseling, I know a lot of people have questions about being in a relationship. Like, do I have to be, does this have to be my, my spouse in order for me to come to couples counseling? Can this be somebody I'm, I'm just dating? Maybe I'm trying to figure out how to date appropriately. I've got some patterns. Like, And we know that for Black women, relationships can be a source of conflict for us, can be a source of struggle, can be a source of challenge, which may be one of the reasons why Black women may be seeking therapy. So what is couples counseling and who gets to go? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we can do great relationship and couples work in individual counseling. If we cannot get our partner to come in, or even when we don't have a partner, we can get into therapy and do some work to help prepare us to go into our relationship. And couples counseling is that, having therapy with your spouse, your partner, your significant other, someone that you're dating. And it can even be larger than that, that if people are in polyamorous relationships, there's multiple people in the relationship, finding a um, therapist who is affirming to whatever your relationship status is. So it'll be very different depending on what the relationship needs are. Um, but we are, so, but if our, we're wanting to get that couple's work and our partner or partners are not wanting to enter into therapy, we want to understand why they might not want to be coming in or what's going on with them. That's a barrier for them in saying, yeah, let's get therapy. 
Uh, if our partner is a black man, he may be dealing with his own masculinity and what it means to be a black man and um, needing help. Um, if we're in a same-sex relationship, our partner might not feel comfortable because, again, we know that our intersectional identities, the more intersections we have, typically the more um, trauma, bias, discrimination that we've experienced. So it will be important to find a therapist who is going to be affirming of our sexual, or sexual orientation. Um, but understanding what are the, our partner's reasons for not wanting to come in to therapy. And when we know what those reasons are, then we can do some education around it. So some couples, they feel apprehensive about coming into couples therapy because therapy is going to break the relationship up. No, I don't have that power to break up your relationship. I don't want that power to break up your relationship. It's not therapy that breaks up relationship. But when therapy is working well, people are being open. They're being honest. So they could be sharing things that they haven't shared before. And when we're being open and honest, we can share things that hurt people's feelings. So there can, especially early into a couple's therapy, there could be more conflict because I didn't know you felt this way or I didn't know this was going on. But that also means that we're doing a good job sharing and we're opening up like we need to. So there can be more conflict, which will ideally lead to a healthier or a stronger relationship. That's not the couple's therapy that's going to break you up, but there could feel like there's more conflict. Another reason that people might feel like couples therapy is going to break us up is because when the relationship is strong and it's beautiful and I'm so in love, I'm not coming in to get therapy. When I have 90% of energy to work on my relationship, I'm not coming in there. When I have 50% of energy to work on my relationship, eh, still not going to come in. But now we're at the very end of our relationship. I got 10% to offer here. It's not that therapy has broken up the relationship. The relationship, the therapy didn't even get a chance to work because you're already coming in detached from the relationship. And one person might be invested. The other person has psychologically and emotionally moved on. It's not the therapy that breaks up the relationship. Therapy didn't even have a chance because the relationship had already gotten to a point of no return. Um, and that there's multiple reasons we can come in for therapy. We can come in for therapy because we, our relationship is strong and we wanted to keep it strong, or we both identified this is a problem. We want to work on that problem together. Um, this relationship is not going to work, but we might have children or home or finances. We need to separate as amicably as possible is another reason. And also, it is a valid reason to come to therapy when you're invested in a relationship and the other person is not. You need to figure out what you're going to do in that relationship. Absolutely. I appreciate that because I do feel like we have misperceptions about um, couples counseling, but also misperceptions that we have to be in a relationship with someone in order for us to address relationship issues. And so I'm very happy to hear you say that. And also, like, we don't need to wait till there's a storm. We can come in and get some preventative strategies because, like you said, the therapy isn't going to break up the relationship. But if we have some dynamics that are going to come to light in therapy that were already there that we were ignoring, those mm -hmm. things are going to need to be addressed. And in that addressing of things, we may decide that we want to move in a different direction. Mm -hmm. um, so speaking of different directions, I have a wonderful book that I got um, entitled A Handbook on Counseling African-American Women. And I think you may know a little bit about that. Would you mind talking to our viewers about this book and, and where did this come from? What gave birth to this? Where this labor of love you decided to do, because I know it was a labor of love, because you actually have twins, and you were <laughs> writing this book with those babies. So talk to us about this handbook. Yes, 
I'm happy to talk about the handbook. I feel like all I've been doing is talking about this handbook. But I can talk about the handbook all day. I'll just say quickly in the chat, I put in those questions that you can be asking your individual or couples therapist about their cultural competence that's in there too. And then the chat, I have also included details about the book on where it can be purchased on Amazon. And then also, if you want more information about the book, that you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And then also, I put my contact information too. That I'm happy for people to stay connected with to me afterwards. So yes, this handbook, it has, uh, is filled with black and brown authors, people who are dedicated to providing culturally competent care to black women. The majority of the women who contributed to this book have been therapy themselves. So they understand what that self-liberation looks like and are dedicated and committed to healing African-American communities and African-American women. So it really was a labor of love. I also want to acknowledge that while this book was being written in 2020, 2021, there was all sorts of stuff happening. So just really appreciate the contributors too, that they were experiencing those mental health needs as they were working on this book too. But it's a wonderful book that it uh, and because it is written by Black women, it just so nicely tells about the experiences of Black women. It's not pathologizing, it's not dehumanizing, it just speaks such beautiful truth to our stories and what we experience in healthy ways and connecting ways uh, and positive ways. So we get this great history about who Black women, Black women are, the things that we experience, and then we're moving away from this idea of this superwoman or that um, strong woman schema, that magical, that we don't have to be magical. We just get to come in and be people. We just get to come in and get the help that we need. I like to coin myself as a retired unicorn. I don't want to be a unicorn anymore. I just want to be on a horse, a pony, take, take that horn. I just want to be able to be. So working with Black women to find that peace so that they're able to heal and thrive the way they want to. Um, and then because this is designed specifically for health professionals and mental health professionals, it provides some practical skills and resources that we can use to improve our relationships and working with Black women. Ultimately, when Black women come to therapy, the purpose of this book is for Black women to feel safe, to feel heard, understood, and to be able to heal the way that they need to. So those strategies and interventions that we're providing are to help guide therapists into creating those safe spaces for Black women. And this is for um, all therapists. So again, like I was saying earlier, Black women, we need this. Black women therapists need it and white therapists, Asian therapists, um, Hispanic therapists, we all need these things. Men therapists um, and working with Black women. That so often I've worked with Black women who they say, I would have never shared this with someone who's not a Black woman. We don't want that because there's only a small pool of us. Want our clients to feel comfortable coming in and saying whatever it is that they need to say, however it is they need to say it. So this book is really focused on those things. Talking about our beauty, talking about our strengths, while also moving away from the idea of we're having to be strong all the time. Coming from a sociocultural lens of uh, making sure that we're looking at how those things can also be brought into therapy so that Black women are getting those services that they really need. 
I am so very excited. Um, I, you know, and I, and I, one, I think it's very important to highlight. Yes, this is not a black person book. <laughs> this is for anyone who will be working with or is currently working with black women. And a lot of times, when it comes to books written by us then it is categorized into like, oh, okay, this is, this is a black book. No, this is, this is a therapist book. Um, and so any therapist, because as you said, the reality is all of us may not be walking in the spaces with black women therapists, but we're going to be walking in the spaces with therapists and we want them to be culturally responsive, culturally competent therapists. And so this is one of the ways that therapists can get there. And I think it's important for us whenever we're doing these kind of things is to provide resources for providers, right? Because that's what helps us not have to walk in a space where all somebody is talking to us about is resilience or all somebody is saying is you're sure strong. And then I feel like I still got that horn on that I thought I traded in um, and I wanted to just come in this space and be. So I want to say thank you so much for this work. I know that it's always a challenge when you're writing books um, for, for Black people because there are all these other things that come up that we have to deal with in the, the writing of the book. I put all of your stuff in, but I want you to just tell people too, how can they contact you? What are some of the ways? I think sometimes it's good for people to hear it and see it. So go mm -hmm. ahead and give us your contact mm -hmm. information again, please. Well, again, thank you for this platform and that certainly I recognize this was, was a needed resource, but we went to publisher after publisher after publisher and we were not able to get this book published. So when we finally did get this published with our publisher, I can say I found out today that the publisher said this is one of their top selling books since COVID. So <laughs> people want this resource. People need this resource. And Boo to all those publishers who didn't want us <laughs> before. <laughs> we have had a, it was a number one new release on Amazon and gender studies and mental health. So the book is doing really well. It's just a well-constructed book. So you can follow us on Facebook at Counseling um, Black Women. Um, we're on Instagram at counseling.blackwomen. Counseling oh, sorry, counseling.black.women. And then also feel free to connect with me on Facebook through KLS Counseling. And I'm on Instagram as well at doc.kimber. Mm -hmm. I wanna say thank you so much, Dr. Shilton, for coming on today to talk about a much needed topic of mental health and black women. We are again, continuing in this series that we're having on black women um, in order for us to be able to get the kind of care that we need and the care that we deserve. You can follow at Tea Time with Dr. Tarvo on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all your favorite listening platforms. This will be uploaded so that you can have access to it. So don't be worried if you miss some things because you'll have an opportunity to be able to get it. Please do join us for the remainder of the series. The State of the Black Woman will be Thursday, March 24th, 7.30 p.m. Eastern with Dr. Tia Starker-Glass and Dr. Delisha Pittman. Black Women of Faith, Strength and Struggles will be Wednesday, March 30th, 7.30 p.m. Eastern with Dr. Lisa Allen McLaurin. And then I want to also highlight a virtual program that is for kids in grades 6 through 12, as well as adults called Unmasked which will be Saturday, April 2nd, 12 to 2 Eastern Standard Time via the Zoom platform. And that virtual workshop will be addressing mental health as well as suicide awareness. And it is 
supported by the Columbus Metropolitan Alumni Chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Thank you all so much for joining Tea Time with Dr. Tarver, and we will see you all again next week. Everybody take care. Dr. Shelton, take care. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.